You're listening to the Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. I don't know about you, but I'm still recovering from worship. So wonderful. Jesus is here. Thank you, worship team. It's powerful. You guys are awesome. They, they, I don't know if you noticed, if you saw, but they preached the gospel today through song. It was so wonderfully, the Holy Spirit so wonderfully inspired the, even the choosing of those songs today and just the gospel was portrayed through song today. It was so wonderful. It just fit great with Nathaniel and giving that opportunity to response to me. That's that's the best. Uh, to me, uh, people responding to the gospel through the presence of the Lord and through worship is way better than the most eloquent of a preaching sermon that would cause people to respond. Because that's where Jesus authentically is drawing his people to himself. If you were not stirred in your heart in that time in the presence of the Lord in worship, you might need a spiritual defibrillator. And I mean that in all sincerity, not trying to be joking. You might say, well, that's not my personality. You might need a new personality. You might need to ask the Lord to transform your personality so that it doesn't come, become in the way of your heart responding to him. I mean, I would have been totally fine if we didn't end worship. I mean, it was, we could do, if, if you get bored, if you get, worn down and just like, when is this going to end when we just say the name of Jesus over and over and over again? And you're like, what, okay, what's happening next? Or when is this over? Check your, your pulse, please. Make sure there is one. Especially after Pastor Aaron has preached so well the last few weeks about leaving a place of spiritual complacency and lethargy. And Pastor Chris was here last Sunday, preached an incredible message on seeking God. There is not much else or anything else, in my opinion, that you need to inspire you, to motivate you, to kick you in the rear end, to get your heart stirred with a desire for him. And so if that's not the case, that, that, that desire isn't there, I unapologetically say, become alive. Meet the real Jesus. Because when you do, you will never get bored, you will never get tired, you will never get worn out, you will never want to move on from even just saying his name over and over again. You will get lost in his presence and not want it to end. So I just challenge you from the beginning, but that wasn't, that one was for free. That wasn't anything I wanted to say today, but his presence is so wonderful that there's nothing else that matters. All right. I had some other things I was going to say. If you haven't got your communion elements and you would like to take communion with us at the end this morning, they're in the back behind the wall. Usually I have to remember to remind you to do that so there isn't a mass exodus in the moment where we're trying to really remember the, the <laughs> Pastor Jeffrey, calling you out, bro. <laughs> oh, so great. We, we have an incredible 
team. We have an incredible staff. As Nathaniel said, we have an amazing group of volunteers. We could not do this without all of the people who serve and, do, and that help. So we're so grateful. We're so thankful. I mean, we, now that we have launched our campus in Longview, which I'll get to in a moment. I know many of you are wondering about that. Uh, our, our staff, our team is like literally divided. We have, you know, our, our team in two different places. And, and it's just so wonderful to know there's so many great people to be able to uh, continue to be a part of what God's doing in both places. And we're so thankful for all of you who serve in some way, shape, or form. And I appeal to those of you who are here this morning, and this is your church home, this is your church family, this is where you're putting down your roots to grow in your walk with Jesus, with a church family. If you are not serving in some area of this, of this house, I ask you to jump in. Uh, come to the Connect class in a couple weeks if you haven't yet. Uh, if you have gone to one and you aren't serving and you want to serve and you just haven't been invited into an area, come see Nathaniel, come see one of our, our team, our staff members. We will get you plugged in. We need your help. Amen. We need your help. Not only has our staff divided, but we've lost some amazing, not lost, but we've transferred some amazing volunteers to Longview. And so there's holes to be filled here as well. And so we need all of us to participate. This is not a, a spectating church. We participate all together. Amen. Praise God. All right. You will eventually wake up, I'm sure. Longview, I'm... Happy to report, got off to a fantastic launch and start last Sunday. It was awesome. We had, that, that place was full on the first day. So be praying uh, that the Lord provides another building for us. Uh, we will need that uh, soon. So it was fantastic. The presence of the Lord was so wonderful there, which is what, it really, what really matters. I mean, yes, the worship team did a great job. The preaching was phenomenal. But if Jesus isn't there, it doesn't really matter. He was there. I, I closed my eyes during the, the worship time, and I couldn't tell where I was. If I was in Woodland or Longview, I couldn't tell the difference, which is what we want. We want that new campus to feel like home. We, we want it to be no difference because we're one church in two different cities, and we want the same DNA and culture that the Lord has birthed here and built here to be in Longview at, at the same time. And so Pastor Aaron's there preaching this morning, and it's going to be, I'm sure, another phenomenal time there. And we, we kind of joked as a staff this last week, like, okay, we didn't just pull off an event. We actually started a church that happens every week there. Praise God. This is awesome. Because, you know, there's a lot of buildup and excitement, and it's like you kind of almost view it as an event, even though there is the event of launching something, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, we're coming back next week. Okay, here we go. So it was awesome, though. Three beautiful souls gave their lives to Jesus last week. It was fantastic, a great just beginning to what I know the Lord is going to do in our wonderful campus and city of Longview. Amen. Amen. I think there was something else I was going to say, but I don't remember now, so it's not important. Uh, okay, why don't we just join together in a moment of prayer, just putting our attention on Jesus before we jump into the word. Lord, we thank you so much. 
for your presence in this place. God, we are blessed and privileged that you would want to be with us. So that we turn our attention and our affection fully on you. We declare, Jesus, there is no one like you. There's no one that compares to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move so powerfully in this time that every person here would see Jesus, would encounter him, would experience his love, would experience his presence. Holy Spirit, transform our hearts to become more like Jesus. Let your word come alive today in our hearts. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If your preacher, your pastor is overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord and wrecked by him, that's the best place to preach from. Praise God. Okay, I, yeah, my heart is full. I haven't felt like I haven't preached here in a while, and it's true. It's, it has been a while, so my heart is full. I have a lot to say, and I'm asking for the grace of the Lord to be able to communicate what he's put in my heart to share with you in the amount of time that we have. And so just bear with me as we go into this, but I felt I've had this word in my heart for probably a month now, but there just hasn't been an opportunity to share it. So I want to just give this to you today. And it's not connected to a series at all. It's really in a sense, a isolated one-off message, but I hope it will remind us. I hope it will encourage us and maybe reset many of us to remember where we, in a sense, where we're supposed to be focused, how we're supposed to operate in the day in which we live. And so I want to, the title for the message today is made for the impossible. You were made for the impossible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read a portion of scripture from there today. In Matthew 17 and in Mark 9, they are parallel stories, okay? Don't, don't, get, don't jump ahead of me. Don't start reading it. In Matthew 17 and Mark 9, they are parallel stories that happened where two different writers with the Holy Spirit wrote about the same story. And here we see that Jesus goes up on a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go on a mountain and it says that he is transfigured before them. In a sense, the glory, his glory began to shine in and through and upon him. And it says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes were as bright as the brightest light or whiter than any clothes could be bleached. And that his glory fell in that moment. And Moses and Elijah are there and he's having a conversation with them at the top of this mountain. Peter, James, and John, they did what all of us would do. They freaked out. They fell to their faces. They felt like they were going to die. And Peter doesn't know what he's saying. He's not in his right mind in this moment. And he says, Jesus, we should and build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then the Father comes down in a cloud in that moment and speaks audibly, and he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Someone's alive. Praise the Lord. There is life in this place. There's a heartbeat happening. Thank you over there, whoever you are. Jesus is the Father's only sermon. Jesus is what the Father is always talking about and pointing us to. And here, Peter's caught up with Moses and Elijah showing up like, wow, this is crazy. And the Father's saying, don't, don't worry about them. It's about my son. Listen to him. 
And they have this wonderful moment, and they, they come down the mountain, and this is where we're going to pick up right here in Mark chapter 9. They come down the mountain to the rest of the disciples. There's nine more disciples right hanging out at the base of the mountain. And in verse 14 of Mark 9, it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, arguing with them. Verse 15, this is probably one of my top favorite verses in all of the Bible. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Come on, think about it for just a moment. The glory of God in him and on him, his glory in that moment in transfiguration was probably still lingering, still on him. There was still a splendor, a majesty, a wonder that was upon him that caused that when he came down was still there and it caused the people to be overwhelmed by his beauty and be, was attracted to him, which is really the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus isn't about his appearance. It's about an attractiveness because of the glory of God upon him that drew a whole crowd of people to him. Some scripture verses are worth reading twice. Verse 15, because I hope you get it. This is my prayer for all of you all of the time, that you would see Jesus in this way. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. I won't read it again, so I can not break down and cry in front of all of you. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Yes, demons are real, in case you were wondering. They just disguise themselves really good in America. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But, you, if, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. I want to just go backwards even further before the transfiguration earlier in this chapter and kind of give a little bit more backstory leading up to this moment here. 
Jesus is with his disciples in Matthew 16 or Mark 8. Both chapters, again, are parallel with each other. And they're in Caesarea Philippi. And this is where the famous story took place where Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter has this moment of divine revelation where he says, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus gives him the ultimate compliment, which is this is not from you. This is from your father who has revealed this to you. And he says, you, are, you were Simon, but now you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church this rock of the revelation of who I am as Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, on this revelation I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it, will not be able to withstand it, will not be able to prevail against it. Jesus then goes on to describe how his church will be able to advance against the gates of hell and the gates of hell won't be able to overcome or prevail. And he says, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And on the third day, I will be raised again. And Peter, just moments after this moment of divine revelation, says, no, Jesus, that's not gonna happen on my watch. I won't let that happen to you. You're not, you can't die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Not Peter, not Simon, not, you know, stupid, Satan. The ultimate compliment. And he says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Which should tell us a little bit about the things of man that we can think about. Where they actually come from. And so then he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me and be my disciple must take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. These are some pretty intense, harsh statements from Jesus. And a lot of times, you know, at the Promised Church, we don't play games, so we like to really highlight these really intense statements of Jesus and beat them like a drum repeatedly, which is good. But I want to remind us of a thought, remind us of a truth here. The same Jesus who said those things is the same Jesus who said, whoever is weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I am meek and humble in heart. The same lips who said, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and pick up the cross is the same lips who said, I'm meek and humble in heart. And if you come to me, you will find rest for your soul. Okay, same Jesus, same lips. What Jesus is essentially saying here by saying, whoever wants to follow me must pick up their cross. He's, ask, he's actually saying, will you marry me? Will you forsake all other loves? And behold, only me. Because essentially what a, when a man proposes to a woman and asks her that wonderful, important question, will you marry me? He's essentially saying to her, 
I don't care about anybody else. I'm not looking for anyone else. I found the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I'm giving you all of my attention and all of my love. And when she says yes, she's saying, I'm not looking for any other guy. I found the one I want to be with. So when Jesus is saying, will you follow me? Pick up your cross. He's saying, will you deny all other loves? Will you deny the world? Will you deny temptations and pleasures and pressures? Will you deny temptations? Will you deny other things and distractions and follow me? Will you, will you deny yourself and follow me? Because ultimately, marriage is this place of laying down my life for the sake of another. This is what Jesus is saying here. And then he says this other statement that I'm going to just share with you briefly that you may seem sounds off topic, but it's in the same context. So I think it goes together. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says at the end of all of that, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. If we marry him, we will want that day. If we marry him, we will be excited for that day. If we marry him, we will pray for that day. We won't be freaked out when we see the signs of that day coming. Let's go back to Mark chapter 9. Again, Jesus has this moment, transfiguration, the glory, his glory that he had before he came as a man on the earth is happening on the top of this mountain. He's coming down the mountain. The people rush to him. They see him. This father is there with his son, and he's overwhelmed with this, this situation with his son. He feels hopeless, helpless. He's probably tried everything. He's probably gone to the, the Pharisees and asked the Pharisees to cast this demon out of him. He's probably gone to the priests and asked the priests to cast this demon out of him. He's probably, now he's come to Jesus' disciples and he's asked them to cast this demon out of him and it hasn't worked. And here he is and he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe many of you can empathize with this father right here. Many, maybe, maybe many of you can identify with this father right here in this moment. You and I were made for the impossible. We were made for the impossible because of receiving Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, receiving him in our life, and receiving all of who he is and what he has done for us through his death and resurrection, we were made for the impossible. Because of who he is as all-powerful, the creator and sustainer of all life, the conqueror of all, we were made for the impossible. Because of what he accomplished through the cross and his resurrection, he now holds the keys to death, sin, hell, and the grave. And because we are a part of what he is building, his church, we are a part of something that cannot be stopped. We are a part of something that is intended to plunder the gates of hell and not be able to be stopped by hell. We are on the winning side. And God calls us into the impossible. 
Before Jesus ascended into heaven, and after he's raised from the dead, he's with his disciples, and he says, go into all the world. Well, first of all, let me back up. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in that authority, under that authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. This is in Matthew 28. And Mark 16, parallel passage, parallel time. He says, these signs will follow those who believe. They, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will heal the sick. These are things that God commissioned his disciples and he's commissioning us into at the same time. Notice it's commissioning, meaning a co-laboring, co-partnering together to do it with him. Jesus basically told his disciples, Hey, I'm calling you into this, but don't go yet. Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit who will empower you to be my witnesses. What I'm asking you to do is impossible for you to do unless you have me. Unless you have the Holy Spirit. Impossible for to do what I've called you to do. Jesus would never invite us into something impossible if he did not provide the, the, the thing that we needed in order to accomplish it. He is not mean. So he invites us into the impossible, but he invites us into it because he knows it's possible when we do it with the Holy Spirit. When we do it baptized and full of his, of his spirit to be co-laborers into that commission. We have been commissioned into this impossible place. And that commission never had an ending point until he returns. If you just think about for a few moments... Don't do it too long. The current world problems in our day today. This is why I said don't do it too long. I mean, you can literally watch the news for 20 minutes and go, wow, holy smokes. I thought back over about 40 days and just began to list out all the things that have been in the news highlights. Everything from wildfires in California and Oregon and different parts of Washington and all over the place. Hurricane Ida taking out like the whole Gulf of Mexico area with flooding all the way up to New Jersey and New York. Crazy. It feels like almost every week there's a new hurricane or a new tropical storm. What gives? I mean, I was thinking about things like Haiti, the earthquake that happened there. Let's not mention Afghanistan. And that debacle. And that mess. How about this thing called COVID that's still going around? How about this whole wonderful vaccine mandate thing? There's a lot going on in our world right now. How about September 11th of this month, just a couple few weeks ago, being the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 happening in 2001? I think about all this and go, wow, there is a lot going on where God is trying to get our attention. Or there is a lot going on that's trying to take our attention from God. Both are true. To me, the earth is groaning and moaning, as it talks about in Romans, for the sons and daughters of God to manifest on the earth. 
The earth is travailing, waiting for the promise of the return of Christ. The earth is moaning under the effects of our sin. If what's happening in your world right now, in our world, causes you to be angry, causes you to be frustrated, causes emotions to stir inside of you, good. But take it into the prayer closet. As Pastor Chris said, take it into a place of seeking God, place of intercession, a place of prayer. If you get on your social media soapbox and use what's going on to point fingers and slander and gossip and backbite and condemn and judge, you are playing on the devil's playground and you will not win that battle. I thought back to 9-11. I was a teenager when it happened the first, you know, 20 years ago. And I remember the emotion that people were experiencing that time. Confusion, fear, anger, want a desire for justice, all this grief and loss. Even if people didn't lose a family member in that tragedy, there was a sense of grief and loss. America, this prestige of America was attacked. And it was crazy and powerful and, and just heart-wrenching and all the things. And I remember there was appeals to pray. There was appeals for repentance. There was appeals for the people of God to do their job and preach the gospel and intercede and pray. And I don't know if we did our job. I'm not going to say we did or we didn't. But clearly there is still enough going on where we have an opportunity to do our job. There should be an urgency that rises up inside of you to pray, to seek God, to intercede, to repent, to have a burden for the lost, to preach the gospel, to live in righteousness. And if there's not, get that spiritual defibrillator out. And stop getting lulled to sleep by our culture of America that just wants you to forget about these things. I know that many of you got stuck on these two words, vaccine mandates. You have not moved on and heard anything I've said for the last two minutes. So, because of that, I feel like I must address it to help you be able to move forward because I have other great things to say. As you know, we are not afraid to talk about the hot topics here. We talk about racism. We talk about politics. We talk about homosexuality. Let's just lump vaccine mandates in there with it. Praise God. So, Romans 14, verse 1. We should go to the scriptures first, people. Okay? Romans 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Enough said. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Okay, don't get caught up in food here. I know you might be hungry. Hopefully you had breakfast, okay? The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. There's a theme here. For none of us, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All. Didn't say the unbeliever. All. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. We sang about that today, praise the Lord. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Yeah, it's okay to clap for the Bible. That's good. I didn't make it up. Jesus did. So I want to start off by saying this. I am not anti-vaccines, but I am completely against the mandatory requirements and enforcements of the COVID vaccine. I view this as socialism, which is communism in diapers. Communism is anti-God. It's atheistic to its core. Let me clarify, I believe people should have the right to choose if they want the vaccine or not. If someone chooses to or feels led to take it by the Lord or for their own health, then that's their choice. But the mandate to force people to take it, that is wrong. And that is an attack on our freedoms as Americans. Freedoms as Americans. But you're a Christian first. Before you're an American. You're not an American Christian. You're a Christian who's an American. You guys are really excited about this. I really wish I didn't have to talk about it. Is it possible that someone who truly loves the Lord and who deeply wants to obey him, have God speak to them to take the vaccine, to stay in their area of career that they view as their mission field, and they trust God to protect them and their body? Absolutely. In fact, I know... Many people who have done this, many people who have sought God and have asked God, should I do this to stay where you have placed me in this mission field? And they hear a yes. People in this church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what this passage of scripture that you so applauded earlier, that what it is describing is that one, to one believer, something is okay for them to partake and to another, it is a sin to do that. 
what is scripture emphasizing the most? Or what is this scripture emphasizing the most here is to not judge one another over different areas of standards and convictions. That we need to honor one another in love and not judge and cause divisions. What if, what if one of the biggest tactics of the enemy in this whole wonderful, not so wonderful vaccine thing is to cause more division, to cause more distraction, especially in the body of Christ. Now, I will say this. I will say that I view these mandates as a demonic tactic that is an end times conditioning that could be a dress rehearsal for a literal mark of the beast that is described in Revelation 13. Okay? Is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? No. I had to say that quickly before anyone said yes. Why? Because we are not being forced to deny our faith in Jesus as Lord. But it should. What it should do What these things happening in our world today should do is sober us up and cause us to be alert and to realize that our time before the Lord's return is hastening and that we should all the more have an urgency to intercede, to live in righteousness, and to preach the gospel to the lost. We all will have to give an account for our lives and stand before God's judgment seat. With that in mind, We shouldn't have the time to judge or criticize another believer if they choose to get the vaccine or if they choose not to. The reality of the judgment seat should cause us to be so focused on the Lord and on the mission that he gave us and what he has called us to do that we don't get caught up in any useless arguments or treat our fellow believers differently if we disagree. We got a lot bigger obstacles, bigger causes to be concerned with. Amen. Amen. Period. I'm not doing this for your applause, honestly. I would rather not have to talk about it, but you're all thinking about it. So I wish I could have said this a month ago, but we just didn't have the opportunity. So some of you, you're welcome. Hopefully all of you, you're welcome. But I'm not not looking for anything from you on that, even if no one clapped. You just needed to hear truth. So, back to the list of all the events, all of the things I listed off earlier that are happening currently. I took a class called Current World Problems as a senior in high school. It was a joke, by the way. But, I mean, what an uplifting class for your senior project. Do a report on something tragic happening in the world. So uplifting as you graduate high school. Anyway, they've changed it now. Praise God. That's, that's for Woodland anyway. Um, what I want to get at here is that we serve a bigger and limitless God. Where nothing is impossible for him. Nothing catches him by surprise. And everything is a matter of perspective. I don't see anywhere in scripture it says these signs will come before Jesus returns And it should cause you to be depressed. It should cause you to be full of fear and anxiety. It should cause you to worry. It should cause you to run and hide. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. 
It's called the blessed hope when Jesus returns. The second coming is called the blessed hope. I'm probably going to preach on it extensively in the weeks to come. We should be excited. It's a matter of perspective. How many of you enjoyed the traffic that was in Woodland a few weeks ago? You all remember, like, some of you, like, purposely blocked it out of your mind. Like, there was PTSD that was forming. You had a traumatic moment. There was literally lines of cars everywhere in Woodland from, like, the roundabout over here to the freeway. You couldn't go the back roads. Like, you had to know, like, you had to know the secret passageway, which I will not repeat publicly, to be able to get anywhere in town. Even yesterday... I'm in a soccer game in Richfield, and I hear report of an accident on the freeway by near the center going northbound. So we decide to take the back roads. Sounds like a great plan. <laughs> and between the center and Woodland and the back roads, we are stuck in traffic forever. I'm not joking. There was a line of cars from the intersection by AMPM across the bridge all the way almost to the center. It was insane. I, if I didn't turn around and come the other way and actually get on the freeway, which was way faster, I think I'd still be there. There was like no movement for 20 minutes. It was nuts. And I thought about this a few weeks ago when these lines of traffic and the lines of cars were in town and then reminded again yesterday. I was reminded of visions and moments that the Lord has shown us, prophecies that the Lord has given us of lines of cars coming to this place lined to the freeway. And it's like, hmm, this is familiar in a different way. What if we would be willing to wait hours in line in cars to be at a place where God is moving powerfully. It's all of a matter of perspective, all a matter of value. Reminds me of the people in Israel where they're on the verge of walking into their inheritance. And Moses sends out 10 spies and they come back, or sorry, 12 spies and they come back. And 10 give a Negative report. They come back with cl one cluster of grapes on a pole between two guys. The grapes had to be huge, like grapefruits or bigger. And they said, yeah, the land is beautiful. It's fruitful. It's awesome. It really does flow with milk and honey. But there's giants, big ones. And they're scary. And they're going to kill us if we go in there. And Joshua and Caleb are like, guys, there's giants, and God has given us the land. They're our lunch. We're going to have them for breakfast. It literally says, in, in the New King James, it says we will have them for bread. That's what it says. And in the NIV, it says we will devour them. Like they're going to have them for lunch. All a matter of perspective. All a matter of perspective. Really, perspective is faith. How you see things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So even what I am seeing does not move what I know is true, even if I don't see it. 
that my faith is attached to even things I don't see right now. But it's real and it's substance. Jesus cried out in this moment at the base of the mountain with this crowd around him. Oh, unbelieving generation. How, must I, how long must I put up with you? No faith in that moment. Thank you, Lord, that your patience is incredible. The Israelites did not go into their promised land for 40 years because of unbelief. Only Joshua and Caleb, only the two that responded with faith, were allowed to go in and see their inheritance, to see the promise that God had given them. Somehow that whole nation forgot that there was a literal pillar of fire, a literal pillar of cloud, They had somehow forgotten a few days before how God had parted a Red Sea and brought them on dry land free from Egypt. Somehow they forgot that every day the Lord put bread at the base of their tent. Somehow they forgot every day that there was a rock that was following them around in the wilderness that was split when Moses struck it with a staff and it a river flowed out of it enough to quench the thirst of like two million people. Now all that had happened before this moment when the 12 spies came back. And they like, there's no way. It's impossible. These giants are going to kill us. Our proper response to what is happening in our world today must be Faith. It must be prayer and intercession. Second Chronicles 7.14, a well-known verse that I'm praying that the church that I am a part of and the church of America that I'm a part of will begin to actually do within my lifetime. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This is what we're called to do. Another response must be love, that we love one another with differences of opinion, difference of perspectives, disagreements, and we protect unity. We protect unity even in disagreement. Is that possible? Yes, it absolutely is. Do you think that a church full of Jews and Gentiles were just supposed to come together and have perfect unity without any disagreement? Come on. You can have unity. We must protect it. Let me ask you these questions. What are you overwhelmed by? What are you overwhelmed by? Are you like the father in this story who's overwhelmed by circumstance? How long has he had this? Since childhood. I've tried everything. Maybe you're in the middle of something. Maybe you're facing things where it's been happening a long time. Maybe you've been battling a sickness or you've been battling a condition. Maybe you've been battling something in your marriage. Maybe you've been battling something in your finances for a long time. Are you overwhelmed by your circumstance? Do you have the mindset to Jesus like, if you can do anything? Are you like the disciples who were overwhelmed by impossibilities and they come to Jesus privately and they're like, why couldn't we drive it out? 
And Jesus says, these kind only come out by prayer and fasting. What is he saying? You must be hungry for more. See, Jesus wasn't fasting before this moment. And Jesus had actually told his disciples, hey, don't worry about fasting right now because the bridegroom is with you, but one day the bridegroom will be gone and in that day you will fast. What he's saying is, you want this? Be willing to go after more by prayer and fasting. Have a hunger stir inside of you. Or are you like the crowd who in this case actually seemed like to get it right? Are you like the crowd and are you overwhelmed by Jesus? Overwhelmed by his wonder, his beauty, his majesty. You can't get your eyes off of him and you run to him with everything all the time, no matter what you're going through and you just want to be with him. We can't take our eyes off Jesus. We can't become familiar with him or, be, or give him more, or excuse me, or give more attention to the issues and make them bigger than Jesus. Is Jesus bigger in your eyes or are your giants bigger? Are, is Jesus bigger in your eyes or are your circumstances bigger? In Jesus, we have the victory. Jesus is the person of grace, enabling us to live in power to do whatever he has called us to do, no matter the setting, no matter in religious freedom or in religious persecution. Let's press into him for more. Let's respond in faith, in prayer, in love. Let's respond to his invitation to come to him, to come with him, into the realm of the impossible because that's what you were created for. Let's all stand. In just a moment, we're gonna take communion together and in this place of his presence and in this time of remembrance, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this remembering my body and my blood that was shed on the cross. And and every time you do, remember what I did for you. So in this time of remembering his sacrifice and remembering what he's done, I want us to take communion in the place of victory. In the place of victory. That Jesus is the victor. Jesus has defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. He holds the keys. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Why? Because he took it. He plundered hell. He's victorious. That means he's victorious over your sin. That means he's victorious over compromise, over mixture. He's victorious over lies. He's victorious over everything in this world. And when one day's coming, not so long from now, where everything will bow to him and there will be a king that rules and reigns on this earth. I want us to take communion today in victory. Standing on what he's accomplished. Standing on what he has paid for. Even if in your reality right now, even in what you are seeing right now in your body, in your finances, in your home, in your circumstances, even if it's not lining up with what he paid for on the cross, what are you going to believe to be greater?
What are you going to believe to be bigger? What are you going to believe to be true? Everything is possible to the one who believes. That we would put our eyes on the victorious king and his victory and live in faith, contending for what he paid for to be the reality of our lives and our families and our church and in our community. This is what he paid for. I'm just going to read one scripture. I'm going to read two scriptures. Praise God. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. This is the apostle John. When he saw Jesus, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But now look, behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is your Jesus. So wonderful, so powerful that the beloved apostle John fell at his face before him. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 57. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, you cheered a lot louder for some dumb vaccine mandate. You should be excited about this. If you can get your bread ready. Just right now, hold that in your hand. Put your focus and attention fully on him. Just in your own words, begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive. You're the risen and victorious king. You've defeated any circumstance. You've defeated anything I'm going through right now. You reign above it all, God. Lord, we come to you today in remembrance of the cross and the remembrance of your body and your shed blood. And Jesus, we say thank you for victory. Thank you, Jesus, for what you paid for in your body. We thank you, Jesus, that you became sin for us, that we might become righteous before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you defeated sin. You defeated death. You defeated hell. Thank you, Jesus, that by your stripes we are made whole. So God, I thank you for these things and I ask for that reality that you paid for to be the reality in which we live in and experience even right now. Holy Spirit, sweep through every row, every aisle in this place, every person here who needs a touch from you, who needs your healing touch, who needs to be set free from addictions and depression and anxiety, all suicidal thoughts be broken in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask Holy Spirit for your life to flow into them. Holy Spirit, come. You are the bread of life. 
Jesus, you are the bread of life. And as we take this bread and remembrance of you, satisfy every soul, sustain every soul, no matter what they're going through right now. Strengthen every soul, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And we take this now and give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, you may partake. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood that was poured out, that was spilled out. God, that you were beaten, you were mocked, you were mutilated for my sake. Thank you for your blood that washes me white as snow. Thank you for your blood that covers me, that makes me new. Thank you for your blood that allows me to come boldly before your throne of grace, to be in your presence in awe and reverence and honor, but be able to become boldly before you. So, Lord, we thank you and we celebrate and we ask, oh God, for the power of your blood to be upon every life here, the reality of the blood to be upon every life here, upon every family represented here, every children, every child in this place, every child represented by every parent that is here. We plead the blood of Jesus. Just right now, church, in your own words, I plead the blood of Jesus. Plead it over yourself, over your family, over your household. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus. Every demonic spirit, go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of strife that's causing division in homes, be gone in Jesus' name. Every demonic oppressive spirit, every spirit of depression, go in Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Jesus for peace, for joy in every home. We plead the blood of Jesus for love in every marriage. We plead the blood of Jesus for healing in every body. We plead the blood of Jesus for freedom from all sin and all addiction. In Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Jesus for total health. No more sickness in Jesus' name. No more spread of any virus in Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Jesus and it stops now. We plead it over our region, Lord, over the cities of Richfield, over the cities of the center, Woodland, Kalama, Longview, Kelso, God, for health and wholeness in Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're greater than any sickness. You're greater than any virus. You're greater than any disease. We thank you, God. You're greater than any pain. We stand on your truth today, Lord. We take this cup in remembrance of your blood. We thank you for the new covenant of your grace. In Jesus' name, you may partake. For the moments that we have left, I want us to worship the Lord with all that we have. 
do not fall asleep physically or spiritually. Do not become casual. We're talking about his cross. We're talking about his body and his blood. There should be something that stirs inside of you of such thankfulness, of such passion, of such intensity that you want to express yourself to him with all that you have. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, but don't make them have to do something for you to be inspired. Jesus is enough. Just begin right now, church, just to lift up your own thanks. Begin to lift up your own praise. Begin to lift up your own song to the Lord. Jesus, we worship you. We honor you in this place. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all for you. All for the glory of your name. We give you all glory, Lord. You're so good. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. You can come to the front if you want. You can go into the aisles. Just worship the Lord with all that you have. Hold nothing back from him. Hold nothing back. He's worthy. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Lord.